There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everyone. You're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm Bill Roden, and we're recording this podcast on a very nice Friday afternoon in New York City. Well, I'm in New York City, but um, today is, is is very bittersweet for me personally uh, because the second Roden Fellows class is coming to a close. So this is the very last podcast that Isaiah, Deja, and Tucker are going to record as Roden Fellows. We're going through it, Bill. I'm sad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's the last one. Okay. I'm tearing up. Okay. I told him to say that, guys. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but you guys can come back any time as alum. Uh, but anyway, how, how are you guys feeling? I mean, what's what's next for you? Uh, Deja, although you're not in Grambling right now, you're going to go be going back to Grambling State University, Grambling, Louisiana. Well, let's start with you. What what's uh, What's next for yeah. you? Uh, I have two years left in college, so um, I'm going to be in school, um, you know, continue reporting, continue writing at school, and let's see where I land after I graduate. Isaiah George, you graduated from Morgan State University in Baltimore. In fact, we graduated together. Uh, how are you feeling? I'm great right now. You know, uh, I've really had a great time with the fellowship. I've learned a lot, and my main goal uh, accomplished trying to get a job, so I'll be staying with ESPN as a uh, production assistant. Great. And uh, not last but not least, Tucker Tool from Morehouse College in Atlanta. How are you? What's what's next? I'm, I'm feeling very bittersweet about this, Bill. You know, when I started, I definitely wasn't ready for this moment, the end of the fellowship. But, um, you know, I have one year left. My senior year is coming up, so I'm getting ready to graduate. And hopefully, like I said, I can get a job yeah well not hope make it happen so listen uh, every class uh well we only have one it's sort of a tradition that um each person on the line says goodbye and good luck to the uh other two fellows so we'll keep in with the tradition and uh let's start with uh isaiah yeah uh like i said it's been a great year with the Roden fellowship meeting everybody obviously it was only three of us for the summer but I think we did a lot of good work, and uh, Tucker and Deja, you guys are going back with a lot of experience. I think you'll be just okay um, and, and really uh, kind of in a better footing than some of your peers, and you'll be able to share some of that experience uh, with your peers to help bring them along and hopefully uh, put them in the Roden Fellowships in the future. So good luck with your, your college experience, and, and goodbye just for now. Deja? Oh, thank you, Isaiah. Yeah, um, I... I the time here just went by so quickly even though I came later than everyone else um I came in January had my debut when I did the Chicago Hill story and now I, the 6 months it just went by so quickly and I'm glad I got to work with or um yeah work closely with um Isaiah Tucker, Alana, Janae and Tiffany so um I'm glad that everyone got jobs. Isaiah, you got a job with ESPN. The other world and fellows got a job. And Tucker, you're going to continue on at Morehouse, going to graduate. And 
I'm going to be watching you, making sure you get a job as well. Love to both of you guys. I really appreciate uh, both of you guys, um, Bill and Aaron. I appreciate you guys as well. And this fellowship really has meant so much to me and, you know, not only furthering my career, but furthering my network and my relationships in the sports journalism field. And I'm so happy to have met you guys. And now you guys are a part of my network. And, you know, we can say we were a part of this, you know, very special thing in the Rodin Fellowship. And we can, you know, take that with us moving forward. So I'm just happy to be able to have worked with you guys, you know, um, Isaiah, all the conversations we had this summer, you know, sports conversations and Deja. We talked a lot this summer as well. And, you know, talking trash with Janae about Morehouse and Clark, the rivalry, and uh, talking trash with Tiffany and Alana. So it's just been a, a great year overall. Well, I'm going to miss you guys a lot. Each of you were really special in your own right. It was great to see you grow. Uh, I can't wait to see uh, Isaiah doing big things at uh, ESPN. I'm sure you're going to be checking in with the undefeated. And uh, can't wait to see... Uh, Deja does her last couple years, your growth, and Tucker, what you do your last two years at Morehouse. So I'm going to miss you guys. But, you know, once once a rodent fellow, always a rodent fellow. Last year. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys for all your hard work. And uh, but, it's, but we still have a show to do, and this is really great. You know, we it's only fitting that we have a great, great guest for uh, your last podcast recording. Uh, and speaking of uh, – Warhouse, we've got somebody from Clark, <laughs> uh, Marcus Thompson. Ah, snap. Marcus Thompson II has joined us today, uh, a proud Clark alumni. He's, he's got a newish book out called KD, Kevin Durant's Relentless Pursuit to Be the Greatest. I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, and then in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about uh, the season finale of the HBO hit TV show uh, Euphoria. But... um. Let's jump right in, uh, just right in, because, you know, the last time uh, Marcus came on the show, he'd just written a really excellent book about the rise of Steph Curry. And at the time, uh, Marcus, you were at the San Jose Mercury News, where you reported uh, on the Warriors for 10 seasons. Now, uh, Marcus is, is the lead columnist at The Atlantic, where he writes about everything, but he write, writes about the Golden State Warriors, the 49ers, the Giants. Uh, the Oakland Raiders, the A's, who looks like are uh, going to be in the uh, playoffs. And and uh, he's also written this second book about uh, Kevin Durant. Um, hey, first of all, Marcus, welcome to the show, man. Thank Thanks so much for coming back on. Man, I'm, I'm I'm trying to figure out whose spot I could take as a Roden fellow. Can I, can I get in? You're on. You're on. You're, you're, you're emeritus, my brother. <laughs> Uh, you just got to. I'm, I'm all I'm all heartbroken, and <laughs> I, want, I want some camaraderie too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hey, brother, being a column is a low, lonely life, <laughs> <laughs> right? You yeah. know that? Yeah, yeah. Are, are you still living uh, living in Oakland, uh, Marcus? I am. Uh, gentrification has not gotten rid of me yet. Uh, good. I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm firmly planted. I ain't going nowhere unless somebody pays me to. Are you up in the hills? Oh no, I'm Flatlands. Come on, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm where I actually live around, not far from where uh, you know Bill Russell went to high school. When climbing high, West Oakland. Oh wow, that's cur- from where Huey Newton used to do his work. Yeah. Oh wow, Bill Russell, Probably Kurt Flood, whole group. Wow. So you so you you down below Frank Robinson. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I, I can't get to the hills yet, man. I, 
I don't know. I need I need a few more years to get that kind of that heels money. California is nuts, and the Bay Area is nuts. Like four thousand average rent in Oakland is crazy. No, oh, wow. Well, speaking of that and gentrification, how, how do you feel about uh, the Warriors moving to uh, San Francisco? I know that uh, I wrote a piece for the Undefeated, and uh, and I, I know Mark Spears wrote a great piece. How, how are you feeling? You know, it's I've I've had my. Uh, my closure with it right I've, I've 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 gone through the whole grieving process because you know we we've known this was coming for a while so now that it's here it's like all right i mean i've already shed my tears i've been to the wake i've had my fried chicken at the repast so it's kind of like i'm i'm a little bit over it but at the same time like like you know you can just see how different everything is it just already feels different it feels like it feels new. It feels like there's something something major missing here. Mm. Uh the going downtown by the practice facility, like knowing they're not there anymore. It's just all it's just all kinda weird and you know, Chase is gonna be fancy, it's gonna be pinkies out, you know, it's gonna be really nice, state of the art, all that, blah, blah, blah. But it's 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 hard not to think that something is just gone now, right? Like there's a there's a part of Oakland that isn't the same anymore. So uh, I, I'm I'm sure I'll feel stronger about it when it go. I might even boycott the first game just in like a silent protest, <laughs> you know. But uh, I, I don't feel it right now as much as I'll feel it later. But man, we've been processing this for a while. So like we're like, man, forget y'all. Go on to San Francisco then. That's kind of how we feel. Are, are you gonna still cover it? Are you are you gonna? What's that commute gonna be like? Oh yeah, I'm still covering it for sure. Uh, you know, it's gonna be a nice little. It's gonna be tricky. I think they got like uh, nine nine hundred spots and eighteen thousand seats of parking. Yeah. Nine hundred spots of parking. So it's gonna be a little bit insane. Uh, we got our media spots, so we kind of we kind of cool from that. The tricky part, though, and this is the problem all all the players have is you know they have like shoot around during the day and then the game later that evening but you don't want to you don't want to find yourself trying to get to san francisco in the morning and you also don't want to have to turn back around and go a few hours later so everybody just basically has to move over there as far as like players and coaches and stuff but us media types you know we we can't just go you know we can't just go be like all right i'm about to buy a house in san francisco like so we just got to ride it out and I might have, I might, I'm telling you, I might have covered my last shoot around of all time. <laughs> I'm not sitting in morning rush hour traffic to go watch some dudes uh, shoot free throws. It just ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marcus, I, this is Tucker from Morehouse, and I wanted to talk to you about Warriors basketball. I know you've been covering the team for over 10 years, and I heard on the last podcast, you know, you, you said you covered them from when they were trash up until, you know, they're, um, their their championship their championship tenure and so with that dynamic how would you say you know now they're being counted out and they're not really necessarily regarded as the favorite anymore now that KD is gone and um, you know with the injuries to Clay and and some of the other um, players on the team so what do you think about the dynamic and the situation that the team is in now I think I think it's a little bit refreshing that they that they are kind of just one of the one of the good teams, right? And some people think one of the like pretty good teams. It, you know, I'll tell you what, fans are having a real hard time with this 
and clearly like the national landscape is with just the Warriors not being the, you know, the perpetual favorite. So, like, you can tell fans out here are kind of struggling with this idea that the Warriors are just a regular team with, like, you know, not one of the most talented. <laughs> so, it's almost – this is the part – this is almost like back to when Mark Jackson was coaching. Like, oh, man, they're good. Mm-hmm. They might make some noise. They can win. Like, mm-hmm. better watch out for the Warriors. It's kind of like that, which is so drastically different than what it was when it was like, all right, if if they're healthy, they're winning a championship. Like, book it. So – there's definitely a lot of freshness to it. They've remade the roster pretty much. They got eight new guys. So from a from a writer's perspective, it's really like like fun. Just seeing all the different angles, all the stories, all these new players we gotta get to know now. Uh it just it, it's brought some kind of newness to the beat, you know. It feels like uh they're struggling with like they was rich and now they're middle class. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to take some adjustment period for them. But, man, they still should be all right. Like, it's not it's, it's not like they'll be bad. I think if anyone thinks they'll be bad, it's crazy. You know, Clay set tripping now, saying everybody who says the dynasty is over is ignorant. But I think that's how they're taking it. If you say the dynasty's over, that means they're missing a the playoff. We're like, no, that just means you're not the top favorite to win a championship. They'll still be good, but it's just different around here. Mm. Hey, hey, uh, I kind of want to jump into the KD thing. How do you feel the way uh, KD's uh, tenure ended at Golden State, from the injury to coming back heroically, some say getting hurt, and now going to to Brooklyn? It's weird because there were kind of two endings. Uh, when, when he tore his Achilles on the court, and in essence, you know, sacrificed himself for the Warriors, right? When you're looking at this and you're watching it live and it's like, oh, wow, man, he really was hurt, right? And he shouldn't have been playing, but he played anyway. And that was kind of the thing, like, wow, he really went out there and played anyway, tore his Achilles, and basically sacrificed next season for the Warriors. So that felt like and ended right there. Like, man, this dude is a legend. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a legend in the Bay because of that, from Mm. just forever he had kind of solidified himself as a lifetime warrior i mean and eventually like two finals mvps and two championships would have done it but (laughs) there was no hating on kd after that night right there was no hating on kd after that but then he decides to leave and then it's like oh well i guess there's another ending now right like then then it goes back to you know people trying to grapple with this idea the warriors aren't a superpower anymore. It's like, do need him anyway? He never wanted to be here. And then, it, and then it's back to kind of a little bit of piling on KD. So it was weird. It was like it was like he finally got his just due, and he he finally become you know the figure that he deserves to be. You know, regarded as with his yeah yeah like a warrior for real, and with no doubts and no questions. And then he like he bounced. <laughs> it's like, all right, you know, what was uh, what was uh, remember the coach Diddy Green? Yeah, <laughs> you uh, are who we, we are who we thought you, you are who we thought you were. <laughs> I think I think everybody kind of went to that, which for me is kind of like, come on, man, I ain't even right. Like the dude sacrifices Achilles, and he got two Finals MVPs, 
I mean, he'll, history will show him as a legend, right? History will show them as one of the great teams of all time, like that, that you can't take that from them. But it was just crazy how it went from, wow, KD's a legend. He's, you know, everybody suddenly wanted him back to he out, and it was like, man, we ain't want you anyway. <laughs> so that, that's, that's, that's the Bay trying to grapple with this new existence. Hey, can you tell us what it was like covering Durant um, for in your book? Difficult, I would say. Uh, Kevin Durant is like the most likable guy. Sometimes, right? He's just he's just a good dude, you know. At his core, like if you just take away all the basketball, all the fame, all the beef, he's just a good dude, you know. And we've had so many conversations, and like the best of KD is, is almost unmatched in the NBA, like. You literally could just have a conversation with him in a way you just don't get to have mm. with most athletes. Mm. So, you know, that was, for me, that was always great. Like, I mean, I've literally gone up to KD and I'm not exaggerating. I'm like, yo, I got, a, I got this family problem and I know you know family problems. So let's talk through my family problem. And he like, yeah, let's do it. Mm. <laughs> right. And so we'll have conversations and you know what I'm saying? It, we'll just be talking about our family mm. and. Like, you don't get to do that with players. It just doesn't happen, right? Just, first off, they don't care enough to, to, <laughs> to have a conversation about your family. But that, that's just what, how he was. But then you throw in, you know, the, the difficulty he had with the media. You throw in the, you know, his occasion to be moody and not want to talk, right? You throw in just kind of the animosity that seems to be always percolating and, so the very the same dude who was like so great and easy to talk to, on one hand or other hand is like, you know, going after you for something you said or something you wrote. So he was difficult in that sense. Like you didn't know which one you were reading, you didn't know which one you were getting. Uh, I would say it's definitely better than some situations where it's all bad, and it's definitely better than situations where everything is so good and nobody has anything to say. Like there, there's a, like, if you're a journalist and you're a writer and you like storytelling and, and you really care about that, about the craft of it, like KD mm-hmm. really makes you on, make sure you're on your game. You know what I'm saying? Cause he will call you out if you write something. He literally like, and you know, he, he's done, he's done it at the podium, but he'll also do a one-on-one. Like why, like why'd you say that? You kind of got to be, ready to give an account for how you are. You, and you got to have, like, the guts to stand up and defend yourself, right? And, and then it's all cool afterwards, right? I ain't never had a conversation with him where afterwards it was deep. It's like if you are, you debate about it, you argue about it, you give your side, you make your stand. If you're wrong, you say you're wrong. If you're wrong, he says he's wrong. Like, that, that type of stuff, even though it wasn't, it wasn't smooth, like, I, I feel like, it's one of those things having dealt with so many bad teams and so many divas and so many players who don't say anything. For me, I just like that. It was, it was, it was, it was just a lively relationship. You know what it was like? It's like that, uh, that couple that's fighting and always making up, right? And you'd be like, man, y'all relationship is crazy, but to them it's fun. Right? <laughs> <laughs> to them, like it's boring, like just to be sitting there on the couch watching Netflix all day. Like, it's like something about the relationship that was always lively, and even in the bad times, you like, yeah, that it's still kind of lit over here. I was going to say, throughout working with him, did you find out anything interesting about him that you can share with us? 
I mean, like, it, it like started the season, uh, you know, before it began. It's like training camp or something like that. Like, right after training camp, I'm on a radio show and somebody asked me, do I think he's staying or leaving? And I give my opinion. I'm like, I think he's leaving. So the next time I see him, he's like, why, why are you saying that? Like, you know, I'm like, man, it's my opinion. Like, I could say my opinion. I didn't say, I heard from sources Kevin Durant is leaving. I just said, man, I think he's leaving. And he's, you know, and he actually helped me see something that I, I didn't really think about that much. But he's like, but when you say it, it almost means I'm leaving. And I'm like, I can't, you know, so I, I can't give my opinion. So we have, we have this kind of debate about, like, like whether or not I, I can give my opinion and how much, how much should I account for the fact that me saying an opinion can sometimes be taken as fact, which kind of, which brings blowback on him, right? And so part of me is like, I mean, that's kind of your problem. But the other part of me is like, you do need to maintain this relationship. So was the opinion worth it? If it's gonna, if it's gonna have him pissed at me, right? So, like, but we sat there and debated about it, you know. And it was, it's cool. Like, it, was, it wasn't like we we're about to fight or anything. It wasn't, it wasn't ever like that. But it was, he was saying, you can't basically, you can't say, you can't just willy nilly give your opinion because everybody's gonna take it as fact. And now, now I'm the one getting killed, right? And I'm like, but who owns my opinion? Like, I own my opinion, so we're sitting there having this kind of philosophical debate about it. And, you know, I, we had a lot of stuff like that or like basketball philosophy where, you know, if I said, yo, I think they should do this and put Kevin Durant over here. And he's like, nah, that's nope, nope. That ain't how it work. And I'm like, man, I know basketball. So you wrong. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'll tell like Kevin Durant, like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and he's like, well, I'm Kevin Durant. I'm like, yeah, but on this one, you're wrong. And then we debate about it. So it was a it was a lot of that type of stuff, and then some days it's like you try to talk to him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not talking today," and I'm like, "Yo, but we it was all good just a week ago, right?" <laughs> so it was just that stuff. It was that it was that back and forth. I think even when he had the problem with the media publicly, like his thing was always just you could always go talk to him. It's the part that I understood. Like even if he barks at you, even if he bites, even if he disagrees. You can always talk to him. So if you've got something to say, talk to him about it. I, I, I like I know that to be true because that was my experience with him, uh, and I think that was probably his biggest gripe with the media is that people were saying stuff without talking to him, and that's some of his fault too because you know his people be saying stuff too. Marcus, this is Isaiah, um, and when it comes to like his his legacy, right? If he wins in Brooklyn, what do you think that does? Because a lot of people, you know, gave him a lot of flack for going to go to say, you know, a team that was quote unquote already established or put together. What do you think that puts him uh or with what that does to his legacy winning in Brooklyn? Man, there is absolutely no way we can know. You know why? Because we are hella fickle and finicky anyway. I just watched mm-hmm. it happen. Like like one day people are questioning if he's got the heart to play, the next day he's a legend. Like who that ain't he ain't even do anything different. That's us changing with every wave. So sure, we'll say he go wins the title and then we'll say, Yeah, but it wasn't with the Knicks. Like I don't know what we're going to say. I don't know how we're going to judge this stuff. I just know collectively the wins change. I've watched Steph Curry go from two time MVP to overrated to trash to pretty good again to like like you just it's 
there is a part of it that we're a little crazy too. I think we all should kind of acknowledge that we're a little crazy. So, like, <laughs> you can't really get you. I don't know what we're going to say anymore. I, I don't understand us. Uh, uh, do you, you talk about Steph, and, and we know you you wrote a whole um, book on Steph. Uh, actually, a, a technical, te- technically an unauthorized biography, um, but we know that Steph. Um, basically revolutionized the game of basketball. Um, and now, like you said, people are, you know, saying that he's, I guess, washed up, you know, injury prone, all these different things. So in the grand scheme of it and having being, you know, front front and center and having wrote a book about it, what do you think about where Steph's career is going to go from here? I don't think, I don't think much would be different. Like whatever, whatever flaws, Steph has, they ain't going nowhere to do the 31. You know what I'm saying? So he's going to win games. He's going to make a bunch of threes. He's going to look great. Sometimes he won't. Like, that's that's the game. Like, that's the way it is. It's just, it's all, like, look, if he gets hurt, then obviously that, that, that matters. And like, that's going to change some stuff. Uh, like, for instance, if he makes that shot in game six to force a game seven, like, somehow that would have made him Oh, he has, he's validated now. He made the shot and he missed the shot. And he's not clutch. And it's like, all right, but this is what shooters do. You take shots, <laughs> right? Like, so right. he's going to keep taking shots and then we will keep changing our narrative based on how it works. None of this stuff even matters anyway until they're done. Right. And that's one thing I think Steph like has gotten. That's one thing he understood. He understands. Maybe it's because his dad played in the league, but. Like, you just go out and play. Like, you don't even know the scenario that will present itself, right? Like, if Steph goes out, averages nearly 30 points, and the Warriors win 50-something games, like, they're going to talk about him as MVP. It would be the same kind of year he had last year, and they won more games, and he wasn't even in consideration. So if you like, in his mind, well, what did he do different? (laughs) He didn't do anything different, right? It's the same thing, but how we see what he did, changes how we view it the, the part that's that i don't get is like what we value as like a basketball consumer nation has changed so drastically from when i grew up or from when i like fell in love with it like now you could just be inefficient put up big numbers and lose and we go nuts for you and back in the day that wasn't the case man. you had to win like it didn't even count unless you won you know what i'm saying like it, I, I remember players averaging 20-plus for the Warriors, like balling, the best player on a bad team. And all Warriors fans talk about, man, he should be an all-star. He's a snub. And everybody else around the country was like, yeah, man, but they don't win, so it don't count, right? And then you pick, like, a quote-unquote lesser player with lower numbers from a winning team. Now it's just like, yo, it don't matter if you shoot 30%. It don't matter if you play any defense. Like, are you doing something kind of, like, jaw-dropping? It don't matter if we good. Yeah, it's like what, what the see? Like that's what I'm saying. Like if if you're Steph, and just if we were just talking about this the other day, how like people when they start ranking players, and they put James Harden over Steph, and I think James Harden is incredible, but literally they've gone head up in the playoffs, and he's never beaten Steph. <laughs> like literally, this happened. It just happened that Kevin Durant got hurt in games five and six. The Warriors won. Steph drops 33 in the second half 
of a decisive game to beat Houston, and James Harden is nowhere to be found. And then when it's all said and done, oh, yeah, James Harden is better than Steph. So if you Steph, you're like, yo, what do I have to do? Right? Right. <laughs> like, I ain't saying I'm better than LeBron, but I'm better than that dude, right? Like, But it doesn't matter. We just kind of shift it and change it. And sometimes I don't even get it because it just varies. Now, look, James Harden is incredible, right? Like, But in the end, like, that matters. You can't – you if you compare LeBron and Steph, like, you can't not consider head-to-head matchups. You just can't do it, right? Like, when they were head up and they were the top dogs on each team, like – they were one and one. Like that, it matters that LeBron got it in 2016. You can't say it doesn't matter. A couple years ago on the show, you said you thought that uh, KD uh, had not surpassed uh, LeBron. Feel the same way now? And do you think it'll ever happen? Again, that's like how how are we measuring this? What what's the barometer? Uh, I do feel like Kevin Durant at his peak. Well, now he's injured, so who knows? But Kevin Durant at his peak plays better than LeBron at his peak. You know, I mean, LeBron's thirty thirty four, about to be thirty five years old. So. Uh, LeBron doesn't play defense like he used to. He coasts on defense. Uh, he dominates the ball a little bit. Uh, and in the finals, when it was head up and it was time for him to go one on one with KD, like he, he didn't seem like he wanted none of KD. <laughs> and I get it. He didn't have the supporting cast around him. But like, how do we measure this? What, what like, what are we calling it as? Are we talking about a career ago? Are we talking about right now? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like right now, you got to say LeBron because KD's got an Achilles, <laughs> right? Man. That's on the bed. So I feel like LeBron's got to he's got to get back to another level before he gets that title. Now, if you evaluate careers, like it's going to be tough. LeBron's career is incredible, right? Yeah. Uh, but if you evaluate how they play right now, like LeBron has not has not been great. Uh, was not great his first year with the Lakers and was not really that great until the playoffs with Cleveland. And I understand why he does it, but we just can't act like it doesn't. It didn't happen. We can't act like a dude who we know is a top-level defender just don't try on defense. I'm not going to ever just be like, yeah, no, that's cool. Like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Everybody else can do it, but if I'm watching you not try on defense, that's a knock. I don't care. (laughs) What about all time, though? I mean, all time, LeBron. I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody who's playing right now is touching LeBron. All time, okay. I think Kevin Durant would need to do more. Uh, I think he could. I think he could have gotten there. I think if he would have rolled it out, stayed with the Warriors, won five championships, this conversation would be a whole lot different. But I mean, LeBron do, does have an unfair advantage a little bit because he's been at the top of the game. Longer, so he long. just had more cracks at it. Yeah, for he's been at the top of the game for so long that you just don't match his accolades. I don't care how many he lost; he's just been to that many finals. And do you think KD coming to the Warriors? I mean, and joining an already you know championship franchise in the Warriors also affects you know that all time conversation. Nah. 
It, it does in barbershops, right? It does on podcasts, <laughs> but that won't last. Like, in five years, right. we'll be saying something. In two years, we'll be saying something different. We can't hold a thought. Like, I don't right. think so. I think coming to the Warriors put him in the conversation. I think coming to the Warriors gave him a chance to go head up with LeBron and, and be in the conversation. It wasn't going to happen otherwise. You saw, I mean, he got there one time and couldn't get back. I think it's put him in an echelon where now he's in a conversation with LeBron. Without that, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Oklahoma City, I know people act like, oh, they, they, they almost beat the Warriors, <laughs> right? Like, people act like it would have been a guarantee they would have went back. Like, I don't know. What if that was their best shot? You know, the Warriors definitely figured out some things in the second part of that series, right? That's how you lose. Just the same way Cleveland figured out some things about the Warriors in the next series. Like, it, right. that's the crazy part, right? Like, in that series, everybody says, ignorantly, I think, Cleveland would have definitely won if, if, if the Warriors and the Cavs ran it back without KD, right? But, you know, and they won the series. They came back from 3-1, which means, obviously, they're superior. But KD... Lost the series 3-1, and he definitely would have been better if he came back. Like, these two arguments are not congruent, right? Like, you're looking at a dude who lost the 3-1 series and saying, oh, he would have had a chance to win if he had just came back. He was right there. But the Warriors weren't just right there and would have had a chance. Nah, they were done, right? Cleveland would definitely beat them next year. Like, that's what I'm saying. We can't pick a, a lane. We can't pick a, a, a core argument or element. So I feel like if he did come to the Warriors – I'm of the mind that it would have been tough for him to get on the stage where people could see how great he is. I, I do, I really do feel that. Even if he played that great Oklahoma City, ain't nobody watching. You know what I'm saying? Like, like on the stage with the Warriors, that's where people are like, okay, now you in the finals every year. Now we talking about you all year. Now we watching you. Right, okay, okay. Man, that dude is good. If he don't get to that stage, I don't know. I don't know if we get to fully see it. And when I say we, I mean like the mass of fans, the basketball fans. We already knew, like the the hoop heads. We knew, but like people acted all surprised that Kevin Durant is a little uh, ornery and goes back at the media. Like why he was doing that in Oklahoma City too, especially towards the end, especially after that Mister Ridiculous, Mister Unreliable headline of the Oklahomans. Like he been going back at the media, but it was a surprise. You know why it was a surprise? Because didn't nobody really watch him like that in Oklahoma City. In Oklahoma City, he was that dude who everybody says is a good, you know, good rapper, right? You know, I'd be like, oh man, rap these days ain't that good, man. People ain't talking about nothing. And then that one person is like, oh, but what about? And then you always name a rapper you don't really listen to. (laughs) That was KD in Oklahoma City. He was that rapper you named. (laughs) You trying to make a point, but you don't really listen to Talib Kweli like that. Right, right, right. Hey, hey, Marcus. Let me Marcus. Uh, and, th- and thank, thanks again. Our, our guest is uh, Marcus Thompson. He's a columnist for the Athletic, an outstanding columnist for the Athletic. Uh, Marcus, before we let you go, I have a couple more questions. But what, what did you think? Uh, um, first of all, about Kawhi's move to the Clippers, and uh, and uh, do you think Carmelo uh, is going to be back in the league uh, next year? First off, did we know when did when did Kawhi become like? Suge Knight out here making moves and, like, playing LeBron. Like, when did that happen? I, I had no idea. This dude, like, he basically told PG, hey, man, I need you to come here. And, PG, <laughs> and Paul George is like, yeah, like, get me up out of here. Like, I didn't even know. 
didn't even know people knew Kawhi like that. Right. So that was a little surprising that Kawhi is out here really making moves. <laughs> Kawhi is like coming, coming out of the dark. Yeah, right. Like, look, this is the age of Kawhi. Man, he got cornrows and New Balance and out here running the league. Like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't see that one coming. Sue, Sue and Nike. <laughs> I just see You know what I'm saying? Like, Sue and Nike. Like, Sue, first off, I mean, we should have known when he uh, dissed the Spurs like that. But we still were just like, didn't know what was happening. But now we kind of see the whole picture. Like, man, this dude been calling his own shot. Mm-hmm. Which... It's like, wow, this is Kawhi. Like, that, this dude is a character. Uh, I actually think it's great. Uh, I know it's bad for Toronto, but it, it's just great that the West is so nuts that L.A. is, is, is crazy right now. L.A. is the new epicenter of basketball, and it already was an offseason anyway. But, like, I think it's good for the league that L.A. is, is so lit right now. I don't think he was as good in the finals as people thought. Uh, he had really one great stretch that actually decided the series. So I'm not saying he shouldn't have got Finals MVP. He definitely deserved it. But man, like I wonder about his his health because he was limping the whole Finals. He wasn't trying on defense, and he was kind of preserving himself until he needed to. So him with the star and the ability to kind of pace himself, man. I think we while we talking about is it LeBron or KD? Like why? Like hold on, man. Let me get my core rolls tightened. And I'm coming for y'all, right? Like, like this, this is it's gonna be incredible to watch, like this Kawhi. Like, well, now the veil is ripped off, and he's Kawhi Soze. Like, now we get to see how he operates, uh, in, in kind of a more public space, and as a as a like a renowned superstar in that way. So I'm interested in that. I feel like it's shady that Melo isn't in the league. I understand some of that has to do with him. But I felt the same with Iverson when he couldn't get a shot. So I do feel like, based on what he told Stephen A. Smith and the fact that he was even on, he's trying to get back on. And he's showing, he's trying to show he's different and he's willing to come off the bench and all that. I mean, I know it's tough, man. It's tough to take a guy who is like that and see him as anything different, see him as an asset because all he did was get buckets. Uh, but I, I hope he gets another shot. I feel like players that good, but I don't even care, man. He carried the league. Like, he was a part of carrying the league. He was a part of making New York relevant. I feel like stuff like that should guarantee you a job. Do you think it's political? For as long as you can run up and down the court. Yeah, I do think I do think people feel like he won't play, he won't be a starter, and he can't, he can't do what Vince Carter has done, right? He can't make the transition to a role player, to a humble like contributor, I do think some people don't want to deal with that. I do think the league is just big on going young. And, I mean, there are some other players who are really good. We saw Jeremy Lynn tearful talking about he can't get a crack. Mm. My guy Jamal Crawford still ain't got signed. So it's a lot of OGs who are out here who not getting shine, mm. right, who not getting an opportunity because all these youngsters are getting a spot. And that's, that's been the case, right? There's a, there's a CBA clause. That allows that that where the league pays most of a veteran minimum salary, right? If you over if you over a certain number of years, the league will play part of the salary because it, it prevents OGs from getting squeezed out because you can always find somebody younger and cheaper. So this isn't new, but man, I think it's a little disrespectful to what Carmelo has meant for this league, right? That he can't get a shot somewhere. Like it, it just feels like for what he's done. 
I mean, all these players should kind of be petitioning for, for Melo to get a shot. Like, he carried Team USA. Right. You know, like, he was the best player on Team USA. Like, you know, when, when those guys were playing, we were talking about them as if it was something noble they were doing. Right? So where's the credit for all that? Like, what, what's the payoff for that? This type of stuff that makes players go for theirs. And then you get mad at Anthony Davis for taking control of his career. When at the end, you just know, like, no matter what I do, I could be cast aside. So right. I just feel like it should be maybe the league should make a roster exempt spot. Like this spot don't count against your total roster allotment. But if it's a dude with ten years or more in the league, you get to sign one at the minimum just for that don't count against the cap. Just to make sure, like you just this is not how you end Carmelo's career. This is not how you end. Jamal Crawford's career, like you know, like these dudes mean more than that to me. That's just my right. opinion. Yeah, no, that, that's good. I, I, I agree. I agree. I think it's sad to see how Carmelo is going out, but I want to. I want to quickly circle back to a statement you just mentioned about Kawhi, and I think this is you know sort of been a topic of conversation since Kawhi won um, his championship with the Raptors. But people are, you know, now sort of comparing um, Kawhi and Kate, not comparing, but putting them on the level, trying to see who's, you know, in that number two spot behind LeBron, Kawhi, or KD. And they both have two championships. I know Kawhi with the Spurs, he was sort of in the, still in the shadow of Tim Duncan and, you know, Manu and Tony Parker. But he showed that he could be the alpha dog with the Raptors. So what do you think, uh, or, or what, what would you rank, I guess, Kawhi and KD in terms of, you know, who's who's the best or or who, you know, I guess is better right now? I mean, non-injury, like, you know, these questions are tough because, like, everybody doesn't play at their max. Right. So, and I, I don't mean money, but their max abilities. When Kevin Durant is playing at his max ability, like, Kevin Durant's better. And just for the sheer fact that I don't think Kawhi involves his teammates in a manner that's elite, you know. Uh I, I don't think you can I don't think you can overlook that. Uh he basically just puts his shoulder down and he goes. One oh one, you know what I'm saying? Like like Kevin Durant can literally run point. Uh but does Kevin Durant always play defense like he can? Like I he doesn't. When he when he's playing he's incredible. But you know, Kawhi Leonard at his peak performances is playing D a hundred percent of the time. So I think it's close. I kind of lean towards the ability to make, make other players better around you, move the ball. I lean towards that. Uh, I lean towards the fact that Kevin Durant has an impossible shot. He could just go to no matter what he'll get, he'll get the pull up. He's seven feet, right? Like and the shots getting off. Uh, we still need to see Kawhi being treated in the same way LeBron gets treated, in the same way Steph gets treated. Like we, we don't see him face regular doubles, right? We don't we just haven't we haven't seen him forced to do something other than strength. And the league catches up to you. The league starts figuring stuff out. So this is that was kind of year one of the Kawhi running the show show. You know what I'm saying? So right. the, yeah. the league will have a response for Kawhi Leonard. That's a guarantee. Just like the league has something to say to Giannis, right? Like, all right, that was great, but here you go. What you got? <laughs> and, you know, he, he bowed out at Eastern Conference Finals. So we've seen Kevin Durant. We've seen LeBron. We've seen Steph. We've seen James Harden, right? We've seen these guys 
take what the league throws at them as a rebuttal and figure out another way, right? And, and counter that game. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I feel like Kawhi still needs to do that as the A one guy, and it's gonna happen. I, I think he can. I think he'll figure out how to do it. I think he'll learn to go left more. He'll develop. You know, his mid range is already on point. He'll like. I think he'll figure it out, but he's kind of got to do it. And we've seen Kevin Durant actually do it. So uh, I, I'll give him the edge for that. But right now, it's obviously Kawhi because again. We don't know what Kevin Durant we will see moving forward. And Achilles is no joke. Hey, Marcus, uh, listen, man, this has been great. We're going to let you go. But I, one last question before we do let you go. And, uh, you know, uh, we're going to put you on the spot, obviously. Uh, we're in June. Who's going to be who's going to be the the, the, the four-team standing uh, when we get to June? And who's going to be playing for the uh, for the finals, uh, for the championship? The four-team standing. So the, the East finals, I got Philly. And I think I think Milwaukee will get back there. So mm-hmm. I think we got a Philly Milwaukee Eastern Conference Finals. I know I went out on a limb on that one. I know. I know. I got <laughs> you. And for the West, I'm going with Clippers. Oh man, I really want Clippers Lakers, but I just don't think both of them will get there. Mm. And I do worry about this Lakers roster. I do worry. I do worry about Anthony Davis' ability to play a full season right. and a playoff grind. Like he's never done, he's never gotten past the first round. No, he did get to the second round, but like to get to the West Finals, that would be new territory for him. So, I mean, they have they have the one two that should get them to the finals. But man, I think there might be a sleeper. I think a team like like Denver. Might you know? Might pull something. The West, the West is just so daunting. You got to remember, there are so many teams that have an ability to take a chunk out of you, right? I don't think anybody wants to see the Warriors in the playoffs, especially if Clay comes back healthy. It'll be like a five seed, right? <laughs> and you're like, yo, that's my second round opponent. That's kind of shady. I get three champions in the second round, so. I, I, I feel like it's gonna. I feel like the Clippers will make it just because they're so deep and they play such. Incre- they have so many incredible defenders that man, it's gonna be so tough to score against that team. But you know what? Let, let's go with let, let's go with uh, Houston. Nah, I go with Houston. I'm just like Denver. <laughs> I go with Clippers and Denver. Uh, okay. Clippers and Denver. That's my that's my pick. If I would have said the Warriors, everybody would have been like, "You're over." <laughs> so I'm not gonna say that. But, yeah, I was uh, waiting for you. To I do feel like the Lakers. Nah. I, I do worry about their health. I, I think that's a. They got a lot of young players. They got a lot of young players. A lot of players who've never played like winning basketball, and I think that puts a lot of pressure on Steph, who's 31 years old, who seems to get hurt. Like if if nothing, if nothing, it might just be minor, but something happens once a year. Draymond Green, we've seen him injured like a lot of last year. He's about to be thirty. Like these ain't no twenty-five years old. You know what I'm saying? And they played five straight seasons to June. I think they actually probably could benefit from a first-round exit just so they can rest. <laughs> but I'm not ready to put them in a West Finals because I wonder about how they'll hold up, uh, how their stars will hold up until Clay gets back. So I'm going with Denver. I'm going with the team that was number one last year. They got their lumps in the playoffs. They got some experience, and they should be better next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marcus, before you leave, I wanted to ask you a question about the book. Um, you received a lot of positive reviews, but 
how did you feel about it? Um, the overall outcome about the book? You know what? I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, and I, I learned this from having to do it because I didn't. I didn't take a sabbatical. I didn't do. I didn't leave. I was doing two jobs at once. Uh, you know how you know how teams say and players say, man, all you can do is like leave it all out on the field. And there's like a piece that comes with that, no matter what happens. Man, I really understood that from writing the book. So you know what? I was so happy that I actually pulled it off. That I don't really <laughs> reviews didn't even matter. Like I did, I just feel like I accomplished something so major by writing the book. Like while I'm doing my day job, while I'm trying to be a father, while I'm trying to be a husband, right? While I'm still trying to be a, a productive member of the community, especially to the under underserved. Like I wrote a book, uh, and I, you know, I didn't embarrass my family name in the process. So <laughs> it's such a, it's, you know, what I'm saying, like it's such a, it's such a grueling undertaking that, yo, know, I really, I really gave it all I had. So whatever, whatever, whatever happens after that was kind of gravy. Uh, I I read them again, and I end up saying, oh man, I wish I would have did this. I should have done that. So I'm kind of the worst judge, and you know, some people like it. Some people don't. It's just to me the satisfaction from from actually doing it. Uh, it just it means it means a lot. My my daughter who uh, just finished the sixth grade going to the seventh, but uh, they had a project at school where they had to submit their favorite book, and she ain't even read the book. But of course, she brings my book, and the teacher's like, oh, wow. "Your dad wrote a book." Right. And then all of the all of the teachers on reading week, right? All of the teachers on their, like, promotion they get people to read, they got these posters on the wall where each teacher talks about their favorite book. So my daughter's teacher is on the wall with my book saying this is my favorite book because my student gave it. Yeah, right? And it's like, I don't care what y'all say. My daughter is like, yo, out here bragging because her daddy's an author. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's ball game, so... It really, I really, I really don't even read reviews because I already got the review I needed right, right there. There you go. It's, but but I'm really enjoying reading it, man. And it's a combination of a great timing, and uh, you know everybody doesn't have you know 20 years to write a book. But I think that's one of the beauties of being a journalist is that you're a quick study. You know how to write well under pressure, and um, and a lot of a lot of people. I mean, you know, a lot of people. I, I wrote a, took me nine years to write a book. And it was the same thing, man. There's no vacation, no leave, you know, uh, no off date, no, you know. So I, I thought you did a, a, an excellent job on a book that had to be written in this moment. So congratulations. Thank you, especially from somebody who's yeah. their big who changed the whole game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, man. And, and, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I mean, when you said that i mean uh yeah as time goes on you'll look back and you say man this is this is great <laughs> you know sometimes you could think too much and you could have too much time you know uh this this gives you time now to write write your third book on on who knows who you know it ain't gonna be on a player after sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, hey hey marcus this is great though man really have uh in, enjoyed our conversations enjoyed uh you know your work when you were um uh, you know, uh, covering the Warriors. Now you're as a columnist, man. Just really great stuff. Looking forward to this season, man. Out there, there's so much stuff for you to write. You know, the Warriors' new move, uh, the 49ers. There's just so much stuff, man. So just uh, keep it coming, man. Just, just you know, keep keep it going. 
I appreciate it. Hold me a spot next year's summer internship. Oh, okay. you, you're, you're emeritus, <laughs> man. You're, you're emeritus, my brother. All right. Hey, hey, Mark, <laughs> hey, Mark, thanks so much. But seriously, you are emeritus, and we will call on you. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll discuss the season-ending final of Euphoria. finale on Sunday. And we have a lot of thoughts. Warning, this segment is full of spoilers. So if you haven't caught up, you need to do so. So for the past seven weeks, we've been watching Rue, who's played by Zendaya, and several of her classmates deal with her drug addiction, sex, friendship, insecurity, gender identity, and violence in high school. Season two has already been slated. Um, we're going to have our producer, Aaron, join us for this segment. Were you, were you guys excited about season one? Was it exciting enough for you? I mean, to be quite honest, I haven't seen the entire season. I watched three episodes, and it was interesting, but it was kind of sad to me. The the issues that Rue, as the central character, she's the narrator, she's a addict, and she's in high school, and uh, she and her classmates are dealing with, you know, sexual identity to insecurity to love and friendship and all the, the things that are in every high school show. But I think what makes this different is that it's definitely edgier. Um, I've, I kind of describe it as Degrassi meets Requiem for a Dream. Um, the show is created by Sam Levinson, and it's based off of an Israeli miniseries of the same name. I don't know that I am, like, chomping at the bit to see season two. What about you guys? Yeah, I love Euphoria. Um, you know, it just created storylines that teens could actually relate to. And um, I know, you know, as Drake being a producer, it was kind of like a, maybe like a spinoff from Degrassi, but Euphoria was more realistic to today's topic of discussions, like, you know, um, teen pregnancy and self-harm and, you know, just stuff like that. I was excited when... I first saw HBO's releasing Euphoria just simply based off the fact that Zendaya was going to be in it. And I'm saying that because she's been in Disney Channel shows, you know, up until this point. We haven't really seen her in a role where she'll be able to be unfiltered, you know, really say or do whatever in more of a mature, mature role. So that was the first thing that stood out to me. Secondly, after I watched the show... It, it's a very entertaining show, um, but it reminded me, the first thought that came to mind was the movie Kid that came out in the 90s. Right. Um, I don't know if either of you all have seen it. Yep. Um, well, Aaron, you, 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 you probably remember the movie. But that, that's the first thought. I feel like that, that was shade that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't shade. It wasn't shade. Yeah. Um, but after seeing Euphoria, that was the first the first piece of work that I, you know, tried to relate it to. And I've heard people compare it to, you know, the, some of the other high school shows um, that have come on in the past. 
but it's it's entertaining in its own way. Um, I agree with you, Aaron. I think it is sort of sad and gloomy in in a, in, in a kind of way, but at the end of the day, it reflects on real issues that you know millennials and younger people are facing in today's society when it comes to drugs and social media, peer pressure, um, and, you know, what's become definitely a hot topic of conversation since Euphoria came out was uh, gender identity. So Jules, who's played by Hunter Schaefer, is playing a transgender woman. And, you know, this show is the first of, you know, major network is the HBO show. And that I can remember to have a transgender woman in a, a leading role. Hunter not only plays a trans woman, like she is a trans woman in real life. And it's pretty, it's like rare that mm-hmm. trans characters are played by actual trans actors, which I thought was pretty awesome. There's this show, um, Pose, um, that has transgenders as uh, the leading roles. But, you know, I'm glad they got to touch on a lot of things that was uncomfortable for people to face and talk about. I mean, they made it into a show, so... This this is definitely a show that could relate to young people, and I feel like adults like watching this, too. After watching the show, um, have you, were you guys able to relate to any of the situations, you know, that they're facing because it is a high school show? Well, in high school, I know I got catfished, but, you know, I'm 21 <laughs> and I graduated... Uh-huh. Say more about that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's Tucker. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's so mean. I'm sorry. That's so Thank mean. Thank you, Tucker. To laugh. Thank you, Tucker. <laughs> that's just hilarious to me. I'm sorry. Wait. Uh, wait, I, wait please, I don't think it was share. high Yeah, it was high school. Okay, what happened? Uh, yes, I have to hear this story, Deja. I have to hear this story. You know what? Story. Honestly, it's really embarrassing, and that's why I like the show, because they talk about a lot of things that's just embarrassing and uncomfortable to talk about, but people actually go through things like this, because people, some people that don't get catfished, maybe they're like, how do you get catfished? I mean, it's kind of harder to get catfished in 2019, because, hey, you have FaceTime, you have all these apps and stuff that you could, you know, um, snap each other and, you know, just send, like, live photos and stuff like that. So it's pretty hard to get catfish in 2019. But, yes, uh, I think this was, I want to say in, like, 2013 I got catfished. And I this is very embarrassing. Maybe I don't want to talk about it on the podcast, but I'm just going to tell you guys, I was catfished for a whole year. Wow. Ooh! Wow. A year! <laughs> So this, oh, so this wow. person was good. They were like very scared. Aaron, Aaron, please, please keep all of these reactions in the actual <laughs> podcast, please. Because uh, oh my yeah. gosh, a year, a year. No. I was catfished, and the thing about it was the person who I was being catfished. You know, that wasn't out. I don't think. I don't think that was out by then. <laughs> I don't think the show okay. catfish came out by then. Yeah. So um, yeah, I was catfished for a whole year and. It was kind of like a situation that Jules was in. Um, you know, she fell mm. for this person, but the difference was they didn't send, you know, um, Tyler, a.k.a. Nate, didn't send her, you know, pictures of his face. She was just falling for a person, you know, just their body without seeing their face. So um, um, I, it was kind of the same thing, except for I was catfished for a longer period of time. So, yeah. Wow. Being duped mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah, so that's 
that's my relatable experience. Um, any as far as the other things, I I can't relate to. But catfish, that's still embarrassing. <laughs> that's still embarrassing. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Um, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're out of that situation. Part, for the most part, I mean, I can't really relate to a whole lot that happens in Euphoria to a, a really small private school. Um, in my graduating class, I had less than 70 people. <laughs> so we didn't really have big parties like that. I would hear about some of the other things that would go on at the other high school parties. Um, you know, some of the stuff they would do at school, um, some of the bigger public schools, you know, because it's less monitored and a lot of that stuff um, is, is kind of similar to what takes place in Euphoria in terms of drugs and, you know, all of the things high school students aren't supposed to be doing in that show. Um, it, it was pretty similar. I would say my particular high school experience, this is not, it doesn't really reflect or relate to me. Like I was pretty, I was an athlete and I was really focused on academics and I was pretty nerdy. So I had a pretty tame high school experience. But as since I've been out of school, I've learned about some situations in my high school that I had no idea were happening. And I think there were definitely some dysfunctional families. There was definitely drug use. There was some sex happening um, that I just didn't know about at the time. And of course, you know, this is a TV show. It's definitely drama. And we, and as the audience, we get this like upfront view of everybody's lives that you don't necessarily have when you're a student, right? Um, but I do think, you know, in high school, everybody's figuring themselves out, right? And I think that's kind of the big thing about this show of people trying to, you know, gender identity, dealing with insecurities. I mean, all of that happens in high school. So it's just way more dramatic than what I remember. Yeah, I think the insecurity was like one of the biggest things that pretty much everyone could have related to um, at one point of time. Uh, even like the pretty girls on the show, you know, they had insecurities about themselves. So I think that's something that everybody can relate to. For sure. Um, but I can say like living in New Orleans, most parents, and I'm not speaking for all parents, are okay with their kids drinking at an early age. But like we don't like overdo it. Like we're very responsible with it. It's like we, we mature faster and earlier in that aspect than everyone else in the country. So um, the alcohol part, you know, that was that was kind of relatable. I don't know about you guys, but the show definitely makes me nervous about having children. I, I feel like so much of the the very the season finale was about dealing with your your children, especially your if you have girl kids. Or yeah, um, I agree. And it's like, how do you keep them safe? I think it me? shows. I think it shows that you know, as a parent, you can really do as much as you think you can, but at the end of the day, there will always be outside forces that will have the opportunity to, you know, have an effect on a person or a child. And I think that's something that euphoria, you know, definitely shows all these different kids and all these different situations. It really just sheds the light on. There's no really perfect way to, raise a, a child, especially in this country. Yeah, I think parents should watch this, too. Like, um, looking from the outside in, like, a lot of the 
a lot of the characters in this show, they turn out the way they do because of their parents. So, you know, Rue didn't have her dad, and her dad had cancer, and, you know, he had all these medicines, and her dad died. And then um, Cassie, her dad left, and that affected her, and now she's, like, she's falling in love with all these men because she doesn't have a father figure in her life. What did you guys think of Rue's mom? Like, I feel like you only see her yelling at Rue and kind of being like, take a drug test, you know? Like, I feel like she's not uh, she's not very nurturing. Is that I think it, that? I think it shows kind of Later. the struggle of, 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 of being a black mother. But also, you know, that's not something, you know, a parent knows how to deal with or get help with, you know, when your child is on drugs. That's that's. That's not only, you know, trying for the child and whatever they're going through, but that's trying on the parents. So I feel like she tries to handle everything the best way she knows how, but this sort of, I mean, there have always been drug addicts, but the way millennials and Gen Z and, you know, some of these high school kids are now, it's never been seen before. So I think you have to, to keep that in mind and, that, that that comes into play. Did you see her as like the stereotypical black mom, or do you feel like it wasn't? They didn't hype up stereotypes. Some things they are stereotypical. Didn't. Like what? Some things are. Um, I mean, she's you know always trying to drug test her, and she's you know always worrying about where she is. I, I think a lot of other black kids. Not on the drug test part, but can relate to, you know, their mothers trying to figure out what they're doing and what's going on. So I think that part is relatable. Yeah, I don't think in any any other ways, um, because I don't, I've never heard of, you know, a black mom um, having to drug test their daughter. And honestly, the stereotypical um, black mom, like Rue, she curses at her mom a lot. Like, I don't know what black mom is letting her daughter get away with that. So, You know, Deja, you bring up a good point. I feel like the one thing I didn't see that I could relate to is like a real real respect for adults and especially parents in the show. Like, I kind of just feel like parents don't really know what's going, like how to handle, like their, their kids are doing crazy stuff and they just don't know or don't care or are just, you know, so tired of it, you know? And I feel like I definitely looked yeah. up. I definitely cared about my parents' approval. I definitely looked up to my parents for their, you know, wisdom and their smarts. Um, and I don't see that here at all. Yeah, that yeah, that's the only thing that I think is, like, not realistic because Rue was cursing at her mom and Maddie was cursing at Nate's dad like it was nothing and... But I, I think the most realistic part that we have to focus on is the situations that teens go through, you know, um, at at school. So they, got, I think they got that aspect of it right. Okay, so, like, I love Dear White People. I like Blackish. Like, I like shows. I like to watch shows that where race kind of is a central part of the plot. I don't know about y'all, but I just didn't feel like race was a big deal in, in this show at all. Definitely wasn't. Um, I think they kind of just kept it open, and I mean it's kind of diverse in a sense, right? They they didn't really hone on any of the racial pressure that a certain ethnicity might deal with, but the show in itself features a pretty diverse 
cast. It's it's you know in a white world at the end of the day, but <clears throat> you still see you know Rue is mixed and there are multiple characters or non-white characters on the show. So yeah, and a lot of the white characters they had black friends. So um, yeah, I mean I think it was it was pretty diverse in every aspect, like transgenders. Falling, yeah, sexuality, women. race. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in all aspects, yeah, I think they did hit all, that. Yeah, personalities, you know. What do you, I wonder, what, what do you guys think about about Drake's role with the show? Um, he's promoted Euphoria on his Instagram and social media, and we know he's an executive producer on the show. And his history, we, we know he does have a history in television, being on Degrassi, so what do you guys, um, how do you guys feel about Drake being an ex- executive producer on the show? I know Drake made his debut with Degrassi, so um, I'm pretty sure people were excited for him to be be on the, um, as, as far as like the producing aspect, so if Drake didn't do Degrassi, I think people would question, you know, why is he on this? So I think he was like the perfect person to be added on to this because he, well, I've only watched a few episodes of Degrassi, but the few episodes that I did watch with Drake, you know, he did a really good job at acting. So I'm not sure how much he included into this, into the um, the show, but I'm pretty sure he had a lot to do with the things that were going on. I feel like he better promote it. Like as an executive producer, you are you're putting money yeah. into it, and you're kind of making sure that it meets, you know, it gets done on time, that it meets technical and artistic standards. So, hopefully, you know, you're proud of it. But uh, yeah, I feel like you mm-hmm. know Drake's songs are so um, melancholy, and I definitely felt like the show there's like this melancholy undertone. So when I learned that he was part of it, I was like, oh well, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, no, I think, you know, what, whatever he did, I, I think it, he, it's done well. I also think that just HBO just does really stellar work. So I feel like you, you'd have to try to fail here. I don't know about you guys, but the part that was really fascinating to me in the finale was, you know, you have, um, Cassie. She's played by Sydney Sweeney. She's a character who is kind of known as the slut. Like she has a, a sexual reputation that she just can't live down. You know, her mom, like warns her not to get pregnant and she does i definitely had a classmate like that and there's nothing that says she's going to get an abortion like i don't think the words abortion are ever uttered although i guess her her boyfriend or whoever like kind of tells her to get rid of the baby and so you like see her going in for some kind of medical procedure and then there's like a figure skating scene which was kind of bizarre but also like the music was dramatic and i I don't think it at all glamorized getting an abortion but it also kind of i don't know I don't, I don't know if you were left kind of wondering what was going on but i definitely saw some some stuff online kind of saying how could they just they just made it look too easy to have an abortion did you guys have that sense no so like with the ice skating scene i didn't even take it like that as um as far as like abortion being an easy thing i didn't take the ice skating scene like that i took it as um ice skating was something that she did and she liked when she was younger um, I think she started when she was four, but then she couldn't afford to, like her dad couldn't afford the lessons anymore, so she had to stop doing it. So I think the 
the ice skating part represents her innocence. So before she was, you know, in high school in like a, you know, a slut or whatever you want to call it, you know, she was an ice skater and she was a beautiful girl and she had a childhood before all of this. And that, to me, it just represented innocence. At a time of her life where everything was okay, you know, she had her dad. She had her dad in her life. That was like her happiest moments in her life when she had her dad, and her dad was supportive of her being an ice skater. Hmm. But, you know, of course, her dad left. You know, um, he came back at one point of her life, and, you know, she saw that he was on drugs. He came to the house for a brief second, and then he left, and she never saw him again. So every time... And usually, like, throughout the movie, when we see her ice skating, it's always at a time where she's, like, unhappy. And, like, this ice skating just represents a time where she was happy. So that that's how I took it. Hmm. I can agree with Deja um, just from the fact that they pulled the ice skating clip that that means that she's losing some kind of innocence. She's losing some kind of part of her childhood, mm-hmm. some of her, you know, younger life. So I think that we all can say that we know somebody who may have had a child, you know, at a teenage age or at a young age, and we know that's not easy, and they have to grow up a lot faster than everybody else. So I think that's what the show was trying to convey at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely curious if they're going to circle back to it, because I feel like I've never had an abortion, but I've uh, I've known people who've had them, and I think there are a lot of emotions, and especially in high school, uh, I've seen kids be really mean. You know, however you feel about abortions, when someone does go through with it, and I think the statistic is like in 2015 is near is uh, pushing 650,000 abortions that year, um, and you know who knows? And I'm sure that number is probably lower than it, than it actually is. But um, uh, when when someone actually goes through it, you know there are so many emotions, and you know Cassie, you know her mom after the procedure says, "How are you feeling?" and she says, "Much better," but she looks kind of uh, she looks. A little forlorn. She's very um, monotone, and she says much better, but she doesn't sound much better, right? And I think it it takes a lot of strength to deal with yourself, and it and you need support. And I think it, it'd be really, it's going to be really interesting to see how her classmates treat her. It's, it seems like they're they kind of it just seems like business as usual. But I wondered if you know anybody calls her a murderer, or if you know. She has to go to therapy because of the the procedure. I just think it's it is a big deal, and I think it's something um, not everybody has experienced. And you know, the acting is so good, and the writing has been so good. I bet they could do something really special. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think they did a good job of you know leaving us at you know like kind of like a, a cliffhanger before season two with all the characters. So. We know that now McKay, which is her boyfriend, he doesn't know about the abortion. He said, mm-hmm. like the episode before, he said, um, you know, I can't have a baby. My parents are going to kill me. Um, you know, he he doesn't even try to, you know, just 
be rational about the situation and just talk to her about, you know, their decisions. And she just makes, he just makes her feel bad about the situation. And that's why she went to get an abortion. So, I mean, it kind of surprised me that she got an abortion, but, um, you know, just being, just being talked down on by your boyfriend about something like that. It, I'm pretty sure that's why she said she felt much better. Yeah. Because to me, like at first she was scared, but she was, she was more scared to to tell McKay. Mm. So that's why she felt much better because she knows he doesn't want to have his baby. And, you know, she got the abortion and it's like, that's like a, a weight off of her shoulders with her and McKay. So. What did you guys think about Nate's? Like you see that scene. Nate is a, is a football player. I think he's the quarterback on his high school football team and they lose. And his he's a quarterback. Okay. And they lose, and his dad confronts him while he's in his underwear, and is kind of like, "You got to get it together." And then Nate kind of like has this tantrum. What did you think about that? I think that it shows that mental health is real, and people can get that angry to where they can catch a tantrum like that. And I think, um, like throughout the the whole season and throughout Nate's life, he didn't confront his dad about knowing. What his, what his dad does as far as, like, with transgenders and stuff like that. And Nate is how he is because of his dad, because of seeing this, these videos. And I think this is the point where Nate finally broke. He finally um, called his dad a faggot, so his dad mm-hmm. kind of had an idea of, you know, maybe my son does know. So, you know, we see the dad going into his office. Um, he doesn't go in the drawer because, you know, remember the, the CDs that he had with all the videos, they're color-coordinated. He has them in a certain order. Um, so he's like, I mean, they don't show it, but I'm pretty sure in season two they're going to show him going into the drawer, and one of the CDs they're going to be missing because Maddie, she took one of the CDs um, from Nate's book. So, you know, we finally see Nate at a breaking point. He finally exploded. I mean, he's been having this bottled up for his whole entire life. So I think this this kind of shows, like, teens and you know even adults we hold in so much and at one point we explode and that's what we saw nate doing on this episode and i've never seen anybody well i think well i have but as far as like a show he really he played that role that part really Mm -hmm. well like you gotta think nate is probably what 18 this is eight and he probably seen it when he was like eight so i'm just going to give it around 10 years he's been holding this in for 10 years about his dad his dad is the reason why he's like this and he finally let it out. Mm. So this this was a this was a really good thing. Yeah, Deja really hit it right on the head. He basically mm. was 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 getting upset because his dad is the way he is today because he saw that video when he was young and that stayed with him, you know, up until this point. So I think it was just kinda like the breaking point, like you are the reason why I am, you're the reason why we're actually in all of this. Uh, in this predicament in the first place. Like, if he would have never found the video, would they be dealing with any of this at all? So, you know, I think it was just a breaking point. Hmm. Um, for, for, as someone who didn't, who hasn't gotten to see the whole, um, series, what's up with Nate, Nate's mom? Like, she seems totally, like, blissfully unaware of what's going on with her husband. No, Nate, Nate, Nate said that he doesn't respect his mother because she is a pushover. And she lets his father do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. So he, he even said it. I think it was like in the first or second episode. He said he has no respect for her. Mm-hmm. 
So she knows what's like. Yeah, she knows and I her think dad he does all this stuff, and she just doesn't do anything about it. Uh uh-uh. uh hmm. Nah, he she doesn't know at all, and I think Nate's even more madder at her because how could you be doing? She doesn't like, try to. She's not doing. suspicious about anything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because Nate knows, He's but his mom, like, how, yeah, how could you be doing something like this for ten years? not get caught at all. You have the CDs in the house, you know, you're gone at a certain time. Um, you know, you're not catching on to anything and that's why he thinks she's a pushover mm-hmm. because she doesn't investigate anything. I mean, not that she has many scenes in the show, but they do describe her as a pushover in the beginning and we kind of just make um inferences on why she's a pushover. Okay, I also have I have another I'm switching gears. I have another question. The very last scene, so sad. Jules and um, and Rue are like they leave the the winter formal. They're gonna go somewhere on a train, and then Rue is kind of like I don't know. I kind of feel like she had like a, a wake up call a little bit. She's like, I can't just leave my family and or and just not do you know say anything. And so uh, Jules gets on this train, and Rue is left behind. Where was Jules going? And I don't. I guess I'm. Like, was that, is that kind of like the end of their relationship? I guess I have so many questions. Um, so they thought about, I don't remember where exactly they said they were going, but when they were in the winter, winter formal, they said they wanted to, you know, run away. But Jules, you know, she was thinking, you know, Gia. And I think the reason why she actually stayed behind because of her sister, um, Gia, because, you know, mm. in the beginning of the season, we find out that Gia is the one that found that found um, Rue when she passed out because she overdosed. So she, like, she feels really guilty about the things that she's put Gia through. So that's why I'm pretty sure she felt like, you know, she had to stay because of her sister. Not so much her mom. I mean, a little bit her mom, but mostly her sister Gia because we saw in the the episode at the carnival, um, yeah, Gia, she was um, smoking weed and, you know, she, Rue wasn't happy about that and she... Like, she tries to be, like, a mentor, like, you know, don't do this, but Rue's been doing drugs, and she could, like, only say so much, you know? And um, Gia, who's played by Storm Reed, was also in When They See Us, so I'm just mm-hmm. excited for her. She's, like, I think she's a great actress, and I can't I can't imagine yeah. finding my sister passed out from a drug overdose. Like, I would be wrecked as well, so I think she did really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did. I think uh, Zendaya and... Thorn, they were like the best actresses in the whole in the whole show. Mm-hmm. Tucker, Tucker and Deja, what did you guys think about Kat and her kind of like online sex service thing? I think she was trying to get her money, <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of what a lot of women do nowadays. They realize, you know, sex sells, and men will pay for, you know, will pay for that kind of stuff, you know, without a doubt, like, at the drop of a pen. And so I think they they put that in the show just to show, like, this is very real. A lot of people do this, uh, or a lot of women do this to, you know, put food on the table. And she's in high school, and she was, people were offering her Bitcoin, like. Right. I would take some Bitcoin right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Tucker. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna disagree with you on that one. Um, maybe at the end that was like a reason why she kept going, but like originally why she started 
she she had a lot of insecurities. And when this video came out with her, um, they put the, the video on Pornhub. They put the video on Pornhub, and then she read the comments, and people were saying, um, you know, I would pay money to see this. And you remember, she had insecurities. So these men were, like, complimenting her body and stuff like that. So she... She, she feeding into her insecurities. Yes, yes. She was feeding into her insecurities. So I think that's, like, why she started. And this is something that a lot of people battle and they respond to in a different way. And this was one of the ways that Kat responded by, you know, opening up her body to these men that she doesn't even know, you know, and that com- compliments her, worships her. Um, and then... Like you said, you know, she started doing it for the money as well. So I think it was like both, but the the main reason was her being insecure. Because remember, at the beginning of the season, she has a when she's younger, she has a boyfriend. Um, she goes off for the summer. She gains like twenty pounds, and then the boyfriend breaks up with her. And from that point on, she was like very insecure. She would like you know cover up herself. And you know when the video came out and it got on Pornhub. She started dressing differently. She started being more free because, you know, these men were, like, complimenting her. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated because so, so Kat is played by Barbara uh, Ferreira. Um, Bar- sorry, Barbie Ferreira. Mm-hmm. She's a model turned actress. And what, what she said about her role is that she feels like she's not the typical, like, fat girl on a show. Like, she's uh, not just wishing she was she was thinner and she, um, or she doesn't just, like, make jokes about herself. Like, she's kind of, she's, like, hot and secure at times and she's insecure at times and she's making bad choices sometimes and other times she's kind of cool and you, she's complex. And I'm like, I I do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, you know, she's a, she's a cam girl and like you said, Tucker, you can definitely make a lot of money. And it's this whole other world you know, I, as far as I can tell, her mom doesn't really know what she's doing, right? No, no one does. No, like, no, not at all. She, I want her. To, <laughs> I think it's important to feel sexy. I think it's really important to have that experience, but I think you got to do it safely, you know. And I don't know that mm-hmm. Kat is doing it safely. Although at least she's not. She's not. You know, she's not touching the people. They can just contact her online. So I don't know. Yeah. And she wears a mask, but, I mean, still, I'm not encouraging it, but at least she's, like, not getting exposed how she was. Um, Well, even though people didn't know who who it really was, they speculated it was her, but she's still being on the safe side. So, so I'm sorry, guys. So, Deja, you are excited about season two. Tucker, did you say whether you're excited? I am definitely excited. I'm, I'm excited as well. Very excited. I have to be honest, I'm excited only because you two are excited. I probably wouldn't watch the show unless it was interesting to college students that I work with, which is okay. Um, I, I'm going to keep watching. And I do think, I mean, I think there's good storytelling happening. I think for me personally, I like a little bit, if I'm going to spend time doing something that, you know, I, I it's usually going to be something probably a little lighter, a little happier. I'm I'm down to see where it goes. Yeah, and everything left off on a cliffhanger, like everyone's situation. So we see Nate's dad sitting at his desk drawer waiting to open the drawer to see if, you know, one of the tapes are missing. Mm. And then we have Cassie who got a who got the abortion. She still hasn't she didn't tell McKay yet, so we we're waiting on his reaction. And then we have Jules. She left and then 
we have Rue. She's been clean for three months. She takes drugs again. Mm. After three months of being clean, we have Maddie saw the tape of Nate's dad. So everything is left open-ended, and they did a good job at that. And I want to watch season two. Wait, wait. Uh, that's all we have time for today. If there's anything you'd like us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment or complaint, tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Rodenfellows. You could also contact us directly. I'm on Twitter at WC Roden. That's W C R H O D E N. You can follow me on Instagram at Deja D Harrison D E J A D H A R R I S O N. And you can follow me on Twitter at underscore, underscore, man of the hour. That's M-A-N-O-F-T-H-E-H-O-U-R. And you can follow me on Instagram at tuckt52, that's T-U-C-K-T-5-2. Thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows podcast. Uh, this show is produced by the wonderful Aaron Mathewson. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. I'm Bill Roden, and I've been your host. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as The Right Time with Bomani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app.